Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, my guest today is Green Party TD and Finance Spokesperson, Nasa Horrigan. Nasa Horrigan was in the, I suppose you'd call it the green surge, rather than perhaps a wave that we had at the last election, which saw the party's representation increase from 2 to 12 TDs. She represents Dublin Central, but is a native of Limerick and a qualified architect. Nasa, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Nasa, just if I could, if you could indulge me while I just take a flying visit over the, the last uh, 17 or 18 months of your political career, because I think it it's very interesting and has been very busy. As I see it, you were elected to Dublin City Council in May of last year on your first foray into electoral politics. Eight months later, you're elected to the Dáil on your first attempt. You were a member of the Greens negotiating team that agreed on what I suppose was a historic coalition with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. In the ensuing debate in your party on whether to win the government, you advocated to stay out despite your role in the negotiations. The Green membership voted by around 75% in favour of going in. After that, you were appointed Chief Whip when the government took office. And then a month later, you resigned the whip after voting against the government on residential tenancies bill. Since then, you have been suspended from speaking privileges in the parliament but in reality, that has amounted to a ban of a couple of weeks as the Dáil was in recess for most of that time. In the interim, you've also been appointed finance spokesperson for the Greens. And you are also, I believe, a member of a group formed within the party since going to government called the Just Transition Greens, which looks a small bit like a semi-attached wing of the party. But we can talk about that. Have I got all that accurate enough, NASA? Well, you make me sound like a right rogue. <laughs> well, I, well, no, I don't mean to. No, I'm just saying, I, listen, I certainly don't mean that, but I'm just saying it has been something of a baptism of fire in terms of uh, of politics for you. It has indeed. And just just in terms of accuracy, I, I was appointed whip of the party, you know, as soon as we were all elected. So that would have been in, in February, the, the week after right. the election. So so that that wasn't on kind of forming government. But other than that, you're 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 dead right. And it has been. Yeah, it has been full a full few few um, eighteen months, I guess. Like you know, I was a stay at home carer uh, since twenty sixteen, so it, it's quite um, a learning curve and a trajectory for me. That aspect of it, actually, about the fact that, as you say, you were a stay at home carer. I mean, anybody coming into full time politics, especially somebody who's completely new and unlike a lot of um, national politicians, haven't spent long years or in some cases decades in in, uh, local authority chambers but coming from a position of being a full-time carer at home into full-time national politics in so many different ways that's a massive leap as well isn't it? It is and like you know being a a carer like my my oldest child is born blind and hard of hearing so when you're a carer you're that's a whole other kind of world and and you're dealing with things around kind of isolation and accessing services and it's really a a whole set of challenges in itself and then 
to be able to kind of move over then to to speaking in Linda, the only thing is I was a lecturer so speaking in public before I had my my kids so speaking in in public is not that big of a problem for me but um it's it I'd like the schedule now and and kind of you know going out the door in the morning and saying goodbye to the kids and everything that that is definitely um you know a, a kind of a, a new a new experience and um uh it's just a kind of a new life I guess I can well imagine yeah exactly very much so no, look, just to, to start where we are and maybe work back a bit. The budget, it looms, I think it's October the 12th and it will be delivered by the Minister for Finance, Fine Gael's Pascal Donoghue and Fianna Fáil's Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. Will the Green Party's finance spokesperson have much of an input into it? No, most of those decisions happen at the Cabinet table as far as I gather. Now, obviously, we would hope that a number of those decisions will be guided by the programme for government, which we all had an input into. Um, I, I think the budget process this year is really odd. And, and I kind of, I think we're all waiting to see how it all pans out, even themselves. You know, the budget process happens right up until the last 24 hours, it seems to me. Um, and so with, with the pressures of COVID uh, coupled with the looming threat and the very likely threat of a hard Brexit and a very bad tempered hard Brexit, um, and, and the fact that government was only formed, you know, at the beginning of the summer, that those are three very, very demanding and difficult um, scenarios. So uh, uh, there's a lot of, I'm sure, hog trading going on at the cabinet table at the moment. Yeah, having said that, though, uh, Nasa, I, I get the impression, ironically, in one way, because of the, the, the complete disaster in relation to the pandemic, that the traditional issue of scraping around each department, obviously, to, to do the best they can, that there will ironically be more money available than normal because there's a huge amount of borrowing going on and to that extent um, you'd wonder particularly in a coalition of three parties perhaps there won't be the kind of pressure points that there you might ordinarily expect in that regard. Well being optimistic I think you know one of the things that that was discussed at length over the last few months is the fact that not to be flippant about it now, but money is cheap at the moment. You know, the, the stability and growth pact is suspended. Um, the EU is saying, you know, don't do austerity, spend. And and a lot of that, you know, will probably be capital spending. Um, so I, I think the reality is that we should be seeing um, kind of investment, investment in people, investment in services um, and projects, you know, that, that will lead to employment. That would be missing a trick if we don't do that. Um, so, so I am optimistic that that some of that will come through the budget. And I, and you're right. I, I don't think it's the the traditional pressure points this time around. But obviously, they'll they'll be new and and more perhaps more difficult pressure points because of the situation we find ourselves in. I'd say there'll be a lot. All right, um, definitely. I can well imagine that. Um, yourself, you actually come from a political family. Your father, I think, until the last election, he was a long-serving Fine Gael councillor in Limerick. He served the term as Lord Mayor. He did, yeah. Um, you know, people kind of laugh because uh, obviously I'm I'm kind of characterised as maybe on the left of the party, and and Dad is a, a Fine Gael um, councillor. And well, I suppose there's two things to that. First of all, is if you live in a house where somebody is in, engaged in the political process, there is a kind of a, a familiarity with it. Like I understand how to drop a leaflet and, and how important that is, you know. And I understand um, the the kind of mechanics of it. Um, but the other side of it is that, look, all politicians are different. I can only speak for my own family, but dad was very much a politician who believed in like public service. Like he he, he really believed in like you're, you, you're there to kind of, you know, he would take a lot of time to 
you know, help help the lady down the road fill in her form for uh, her adaptation grant. He, he he kind of instilled that idea that you're a, you're you know it's humble politics. It, you're a servant of the people, and that's why you're there. And you should do you should let that imbue every single aspect of what you do. And whether you're in Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, you, you know there is you can definitely. I, I am able to identify politicians who operate like that. Um, and I think it's a really important thing. So uh, even though we don't agree, you know, on lots of things, he loves the fact that he has a, a daughter in, in the doll now and we have a good old gossip. I can well imagine, yeah. Um, you qualified as an architect and as you say, and prior to um, staying at home as a full-time carer, you were involved, I think, in lecturing and in architecture for a while. Why the Green Party? What attracted you to the Greens, NASA? Well, Okay, so I did. I did qualify as an architect, and what I did was um, I I did a year in Sweden in my fourth year, and they're very very far ahead of us in terms of environmental politics, but also environmental design and all that kind of stuff. And I and I kind of picked up a lot of information, and and came home and did my thesis, and actually almost failed my thesis because I was talking about all this environmental stuff, and the lecturers hadn't re- weren't really that interested in it. Um, and I I think, and then I I I went down that road of of my whole professional career, I was in the environmental space. And so I, I became a kind of a consultant in environmental design um, and in sustainable communities. And then when the crash happened, I, I went, uh, I commuted up to Queens on the bus and was a specialist in sustainable you know, design and also green procurement. Um, and I, I think actually that that does affect the version of green politics that I am interested in, because there's a lot, you know, there, there's a kind of um there's a sector of the of of green politics which is very much based in a kind of ecology and and perhaps you know that kind of greenpeace movement honestly that's actually not where i come from it's much more from a kind of a professional realization that you know there's a there's a huge challenge here and it's going to be a big thing that impacts loads of sectors it's going to need to have system change to be effective um and so you know it kind of comes from a slightly different direction than than you know some people yeah, it's interesting, all right. And OK, you got involved in the Greens. And as I say, last year, uh, local elections 2019 was the first time you ran in the local elections. Even the decision to do that. I mean, had you been moving in that direction for a while? When I joined the Greens, um, there wasn't really much of a branch. We had Kieran Cuff as a, a councillor, but there was no branch meetings. There wasn't really, you know, there wasn't um, anybody in the branch, to be honest with you. So they never met. And uh, I used to email and go, can, can we have a meeting? <laughs> because, you know, I was doing stuff like um, I was looking at things like walking in the city. I'm not, I, maybe don't publicize this, but I, I don't cycle that much. I'm not a great cyclist. Oh, my God. I should be kicked out of the greens. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a good cyclist, but I obviously I'm trying to teach my, my child who is a white cane user to use her white cane in inner city Dublin. Like we live in Cabra. It's inner city Dublin. And teaching a four-year-old at the time to use a white cane really made me realize how unhuman friendly, it's really bad grammar, but you know what I mean? How, how Dublin does not, is not made for families and is not made for people with disabilities. And so I was kind of getting into that area where I was saying, look, can we talk about like footpaths and crossings and making a, a place that's like humane and, and is good for kids and stuff like that. And so, um, I got into kind of activism around that. Uh, I set up Dublin Blockers and the Irish Pedestrian Network, which has done really brilliantly in places like Limerick. Oh, what's Dublin Blockers, Nessa? No, exactly. The Dublin Sorry. Blockers was a very simple thing. Um, actually, 
surprisingly effective is I set up a Twitter account. I think it was 2017 um, where I either took photos myself or I got people to send me photos of people uh, or things that were blocking footpaths. So mm. a lot of them are cars, um, but some are things <laughs> like, you surprise. know, like <laughs> skips left places or ladders left across or bins that have blown over. The idea being like, if you're an, an you know, in Cabra, there'd be a lot of elderly people uh, who, who live in those houses um, that you're really impacting somebody's ability to access their community. Like for my next door neighbor, walking up to the shop for milk, that's her big social interaction for the day. And if there's a bin blown across her way and she's to move out onto the road with her little walker, like that's her, that's a big impact on her life. And so I just started up this Twitter thing. It was on Facebook as well um, and kind of gotten in, involved in the Make Way Day, which is actually this Friday, if anyone's interested, Make Way Day. Um, and it's a lot of just about kind of your, it's about equality, I guess, you know, your, your, your right to your own space and your own community and to access it. Um, and so once I started getting involved in that, and of course, repeal, repeal, <laughs> repeal activated a lot of us. <laughs> it has a lot yeah. to answer for. And so I, I, I canvassed, like I had, um, I think she was four months old at the time. I had a very small baby and, and I would hand the baby over in the evening and I would go out for three hours. And I was um, one of the, the organizers in Dublin Central who had like a brilliant campaign. Um, we had um, Eilish Ryan, who's the Workers' Party, organizing us and just brilliant and effective. And we canvassed every house three times. And uh, and you get into that um, that habit of canvassing, you know, and all of a sudden it's not so scary. The idea of knocking on a door and saying, would you think about voting for me? Doesn't seem like an impossibility. Yeah. And uh, as you say, you were elected and there was something of a green surge in 2019, the local elections, and uh, you're in Dublin City Council. And then you're only there for, what, seven or eight months before the general election. What was your experience like on the local authority or did you have time enough to have any experience there? Well... I don't know if I had time enough, I guess other people could say that, whether, you know, it was, you, you know, I was effective when I was there. I helped negotiate the Dublin Agreement at the time because we, I really, we really wanted it to be something that was rooted in policy as well as just kind of carving up who got what job. Now, look, that's a flawed process in itself. And, and uh, of course, you know, councils, there's a lot of horse trading and, and over the five years, you don't always like stick to your policies. But um, that was really, really useful process. And I was group leader during that. Um, and I I learned a huge amount about, you, you know, the the constraints that are put on local government and the hollowing out of, of you know, local voices. Um, and that was that was very, very instructive, actually, when we came to do the program for government, because, um a lot of green issues would be around um, community and about community voices. And, and obviously, uh, like even if you look at our interaction with the Northern Greens who are part of our party, our approach to all of those issues is about community and 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 talking to people. And if you hollow out community democracy or, or local democracy, that's a massive, massive problem. Could I put it this way to you, Nasa? Do you feel in any way, because your elevation from the local authority to the national parliament was so quick, um, and it, I don't know myself because I'm not a politician, but in terms of what one might call an apprenticeship or getting to know the ropes, c- c- could you see an advantage that those who have spent a good bit of time in the local authority have when they head for the doll or is it a completely different ball game? You know, I don't know if I, I'm probably the best person to answer that. I do, the, like the reality is that when I went for the doll then, you'd have people given out because well, you ran for a councillor, did you not want to be a councillor? So (laughs) you can't win on that basis. But um, I do think that 
you know, in answer to that particular point, it's really, really important that TDs who are making decisions around local government understand the importance of local government and stop stop undermining it and stop hollowing it out. Like, I, I think we should be looking at a, a much more Germanic system where we push a huge amount more of powers um, back to local government. And I think, you know, part of the problem with the housing crisis is that we've completely undermined local government and they are meant to be the, the providers of social housing. Yeah, but that's been the perennial problem in Irish politics is that it is so centralised. I mean, I think that that's been going on for decades. I know you find yourself in the doll. We have this arithmetic that meant the Greens were described as kingmakers. You're in a particular position. I think it's fair to say that from very early on, in terms of the debate that was going on, you made it known that you would not, if you had a choice, be in favour of the Greens going in with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Well, I think what I said was, and I, I've been chair of the Policy Council for a good few years, and I, um, I, I was like the lead on the manifesto. So I have a very clear vision for what my version of, of green politics is. And um, I know exactly what I, I think we should be trying to achieve. And I and I... I, I I didn't actually say that that I ruled out working with any party, mm. but what I said was is that the 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 particular version of government that was being proposed was probably not as progressive as as people might want, and and it didn't necessarily reflect um, the election, um, and that uh, considering that those th- those two parties agree with each other more than they agree with us strategically it might not be uh you, you know the best way of achieving our aims and what would you say to people who would say and i i think to some extent i wrote a comment to the effect myself that a lot of people voted for the greens on the basis of greater awareness about the environment climate change etc and did so on the basis that they wanted them whatever way the chips fell to go in and effect the kind of change that was required in that regard, irrespective of whether it was with parties of perhaps the left in Sinn Féin or maybe the right in, in Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. Well, the reality is I don't think you should rule anyone out. Um, this isn't this isn't a game of absolutes. Politics isn't absolute. And I think that... Um, I, I guess the reality is, 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 I mean, you kind of said it yourself, you, you have to achieve, you know, the things that, that are important to you. And you have to then weigh up, are you going to achieve those things? And on the balance, um, I felt that perhaps we weren't. Because for me, um, some of some of the things where I felt it was lacking, like in housing and in health, I actually think those are environmental issues as well. I, I, don't, I don't think those things are, are you, can, you can't extricate something around, let's say, housing, because, you know, housing is, is almost a third of our energy use. You can't extricate that from, from the question of climate change. And you can't extricate uh, income inequality and poverty from the question of climate change because, because they are linked. Those two things are linked. Um, and, and so I, I, I felt that it didn't serve, it didn't answer that question. It, it didn't, didn't necessarily um, provide us with the, the surety in terms of achieving our aims, aims that I would like. And like, let's be honest, there's, there's, a, big, there's a big danger for small parties um, to, to go in with, with bigger parties. I think if you look at Europe, they do this thing of kind of multi-party government much better. They 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 negotiate much better. They have a better whip system. Uh, but again, the, la- the the final thing I say is it's not it's not a question of absolutes. I personally am not of the opinion 
that the Greens should take should take a view that we go into government no matter what. I think that's facile. Right. Even though, arguably, the reason you got such a big mandate this time, the point in history where we're at, would have been on the basis that, listen, people want you in there because you're the only ones who really take it seriously about what's happening with climate change. Yeah, well, I agree with that. And, and I... I take that point very seriously. Um, however, climate change is not going anywhere. It's getting worse. Exactly. And you could jump into government for 18 months in a, in a very, in, I'm not saying that this this <laughs> this government is ill-fated, but you could on that basis, on the absolutist basis, jump into any kind of a coalition, let it play out for 18 months, destroy your electoral chances. And then what what, what is the country going to do about climate change in the next two decades when climate change is really going to still be an issue then. So it's like everything else. You have to weigh up the pros and the cons and the the, the chances of achieving your aims and, and and ask yourself, is this particular strategy going to pay off? And it's not it's not a, a 99% decision. It's kind of a, a 52, 48% decision. It's, it's it's a tough one. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me, negotiations. You're in there with your colleagues, apart from Catherine Martin, who'd been a TD since uh, 2016, and you're in with Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, they're heavyweights, all relatively speaking, in terms of their experience and what have you. What was that like? Because effectively, you were novices in with, uh, no, I know it's a hackneyed phrase, and I know it was used the last time the Greens were in, Seamus Brennan and his senior hurling, it lasted in. I hate that Which, phrase. I know, yeah, I agree with you there. But uh, it, it is descriptive, though, to be fair to him, that, uh, but no, no more than on that occasion, the, the, the green people going in for negotiating were coming from a far, far less experienced background than your counterparts. What was that like? I mean, it was certainly a, a trial by fire. Um, I like policy. I mean, I'm, I've always been entrenched in policy and, and that's my, my interest in all of it. So in terms of like understanding their policy position, that, that wasn't so much the problem. Um, I think actually the problem was, well, if there was a problem, obviously we, we, we went into government, so there was no problem in, in real terms. Uh, but I, I guess the, the biggest um, issue is the, the dynamics between three parties. So you have one party who, who is coming out of government and is therefore in a position where they have to defend existing policies. You have another party who perhaps would have expected to do better. I think Fianna Fáil probably expected to be on higher numbers than they were. And then you have a smaller party that have, you know, relatively big numbers for them, but a cohort of very new TDs. It was those kind of dynamics, I think, that had an impact rather than the actual policy points. I think everybody was across the policy issues. What I'm trying to get as well, that's the tactical element to it, the fact of being in negotiation and moving towards a coalition. Like, again, a lot of these and Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael perhaps would have had some experience even going back to their times in local authority and that. Was that something that affected things or that was had an impact on things? I think for us uh, as a smaller party, um, you have more leverage if people think you might walk away. And I, I, I think strategically that would have been useful. It was useful in other words, yeah. Well, uh, but I, I think that that's still the case. And, and, I, and I don't know that... that there is a belief that we would walk away, but I think strategically that is a better situation to be in. If you're if you're a smaller party and you're in a minority, um, it, it, it's probably better, you know, to to um, to maintain that little bit of leverage. And I and I think that uh, 
that wasn't necessarily there at the time. I think that, you know, if you're asking me, are they better negotiators than us? I don't think that's true. I think we got a lot. I don't think we got everything I wanted, but I, I think that we did manage to push through quite a few bits that were well worth it and were hard fought like. And there are quite a, a few bits in the programme for government that are discernibly green. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And not necessarily that they're better negotiators, but there certainly would have been more experience and whether that had, had an impact on things or not is another thing. Just to add to that, yeah. I, I do think... Fine Gael are at a huge advantage because they're coming out of departments where they're looking at stuff every yeah. single day and they have an insight. It's not, that's not about, um, so guess basically the three parties would have their manifestos, right? And everybody understands the party's position. But Fine Gael have the added advantage of understanding the civil servant position and the department position. And that is a massive advantage. Yes, I could believe. And no more than yourselves, the Fine Gael negotiators, I can't think of any of them that had previously been in government since 2011 so they would have been similar to yourselves in in uh, in that regard okay in any event then you come out of negotiations and despite completing them and agreeing them you vote against going into government well just to be clear there's no there's there's no moment in the negotiations so there's uh, there's all these layers of the negotiation right so there's there's pre-negotiation there's briefings there's plenary sessions there's the core negotiating team there's the the parliamentary team and then there's the deputy leader sessions and then there's the leader sessions. So there's no point in those negotiations where I sit at a table and we all shake hands and that's the deal done. I'm not part of that process. That that There was a point at which everything that could be done at plenary session was done, which is the one, the bit that includes me. And then everything else goes above me to the deputy leaders and the leaders. And at that stage, I have no idea whether there's going to be a deal or not. So the idea that, you know, that we were all sitting around and I said yes, and then I walked out of the room and said no, that that's not the way it works. But um, again, I would go back to that thing of, you know, it isn't it isn't um, clear cut. These, they, they, these aren't absolute decisions. It was that I had to go to the members and say this is a brilliant or not even that it's a brilliant deal. This is a deal that is worth whatever, you know, whatever political or like our political project, this deal will be worth it to us. And on the balance of what we got, I couldn't say that. And that isn't a 99% decision. That is a kind of a somewhere in the 50s and 40s. Right. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, about 75% of the party did vote in favour. You, you go into government. Then you have the issue, if you want to call it that, the Residential Tenancies Bill. And you felt you couldn't support that. Can I ask you, was that a very major issue for you what I'm trying to get at is, again, because you're, you're relatively new to government, this whole business and a lot of backbenchers and government parties that drives them around the bend of having to support stuff that they're very uncomfortable with, but realise that it has to be done on the basis they signed up for government. In that context, was this particular bill something really big for you or was it just something you felt you were uncomfortable with? No, this was a big one for me. And by the way, like I do think, and I said this at the time, is that this isn't how multi-party government works in other countries. Like, if you have a programme for government, the whip applies to the things you have agreed. And you can see this now, actually, with the assisted dying bill, is that it doesn't work, really. This idea that you, if you have, like, if you have a big, massive party that's like 70, and then, you know, there might be 10 who just have to lump it. That's one thing. But we have now kind of three, three parties, okay, two are larger than one. But 
uh, on things like assisted dying, um, you know, it just doesn't, it breaks down. And I think we should recognize that because other countries have recognized that and, and allow for um, varied voting on things that haven't been agreed with in the program for government. And by, and just, just to be clear on, on the evictions thing, I voted in line with Green Party policy. We were very specific about that item is, is ratified Green Party policy. And the reality is, is we're, it was a big issue for me because we're still in a pandemic and those people live in my constituency. Some of them, the, you know, the highest levels of homelessness are people I, I see around me. And the first eviction afterwards was in Fibsborough. So like this is, a, a, and, and, the re, and at the time, the reason I said I'm voting against this is because the pandemic isn't over. That sets aside the constitutional objections. And it means that, you know, it, 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 I, I said at the time, there's probably going to be increased restrictions in in the autumn. There's probably going to be further lockdowns. I mean, I'm struggling not to say I told you so to people, but evictions aren't appropriate in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a public health crisis. Um, and there was no need to bring back those evictions. Absolutely. That and wasn't in the programme for government. And I... Absolutely understand what you're saying, Dr. Garnassa, and in regard to the WHIP system in this country. And I think a lot of people have mentioned that over the years, that it's very rigidly applied, apart from, in some instances, and you mentioned the, the assisted dying, and people would term that a matter of conscience. And you could well say people being evicted as a matter of conscience, but just in terms of the political culture in the country, some people would have interpreted your decision in that as an early sign that... Um, perhaps you may not be hanging in there too long with the Greens. Now, I'm just, you know, that, that that's how some people, it would have come across, them. you might have recalled some of the comment at the time saying, very sh shaky, very early on, what does this signal for the future, etc. That type of thing. Was that a bit overblown or was there something in it, do you think? I think um, somebody asked me recently, am I comfortable in the Greens? <laughs> well, that's <laughs> and, <a good> <laughs> and, and the answer is like, I think there's a very clear divergence in the Greens at the moment. Um, and I don't I don't think it's worthwhile pretending that that's not there. I think it is there. And it's very obvious to me anyway that, you know, there's a certain cohort that would might like me to leave and are very vocal about it in the party. But yeah. And uh, I think that um, the problem that they have and maybe I have is that I'm very committed to green politics. And I don't want to be in other parties. And I and, uh, you know, I'm I'm the middle of seven children. So if they're you know, if you're looking for someone to push around, I'm probably not a good bet. And I think that, uh, you know, I have a very clear vision for, you know, climate action related as it relates to social justice. And that that is the way forward. And that includes it does include radical issues like, you know, universal basic income. It does include um tax justice globally it, it it does include those kind of things but sorry Nasser, I could just and people would suggest to my experience that what you're laying out is very much what you might call mainstream green policy yeah but I mean <laughs> it's only mainstream if you get it in the programme for government well isn't that a matter of, of, of proportions and how much you're going to get into the programme for government relative to the size of the party I suppose it is. But again, then we're back to balance and, and to weighing it all yeah. up and seeing if it works for you. So um, I look, I'm not comfortable, but I don't know if you should be comfortable in politics. You shouldn't be. You should be constantly struggling and trying to work out what it is you believe. I, I could make no promises to people about like in five years time, I will still be here. But I'm I think it's unlikely that I'm going to leave. That's not to say that there won't be problems along the way. Are you a team player? 
I mean, uh, in the past, look, I've been I've been working away in the background of the Greens before I ever ran for anything, you know, hours and hours of volunteer work on policy council for for I can tell you no thanks <laughs> um, and no, you know, like no kudos or anything just just because I like policy. Um, I um, uh, am I a team player? I think that that's a really good question, actually. I, I, I like to work with people, but I, I guess I find the the version of the whip system that we have and this idea that you're just a, a bum on a seat and you kind of check your brain at the door, that that just doesn't, I, I think that doesn't fit modern politics, but it particularly doesn't fit me. Yeah, it's interesting actually because, and, and you mentioned the European model and the where we perhaps are moving in terms of the types of coalition and the types of numbers stacking up in various parties is towards that and Will that mean that the type of rigid whip system that we had will have to be revisited, I suppose? There's, there's definitely something in that, all right. Well, I guess the question is, do you think that either Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil are going to have more than 60 TDs at the next election? I think the answer to that is no. And I think the answer to that into the future, or Sinn Féin, I, I don't think either of those three big parties are going to hit you know, over 60 or over 70 in the foreseeable future. If that is the case, you're looking at, you know, proper multi-party government. And the, and and it's not it's no longer the model that we're used to of, you know, a big player and a small player. Under those circumstances, I think the current very stringent whip system will fall apart. Yeah, could have a case there. Only time will tell, as they say, but we're certainly going through an awful lot of change. One other thing I wanted to touch with you, Nessa, because I heard... Uh, particularly when the negotiations were going on. And we know, for instance, the issues around politicians and social media and the type of abuse they get in it. We know also uh, that a lot of this abuse proportionally is far more and the more vicious way directed at women. Um, particularly when you're involved in negotiations and that, did, did you experience a lot of that? During negotiations, we kind of made an agreement with the other parties that we wouldn't be too public, the core negotiating team, that we wouldn't be um, in the media too much and that we wouldn't kind of go on programs or anything like that. So uh, during the negotiations, not so much after the negotiations, when I said I don't agree with them, the um, <laughs> yes. And, and to be honest with you, women who get asked that question are in a really tricky position because it makes you sound weak. If you say, yeah, there is a huge amount of abuse out there and a huge amount of, it's not necessarily that it's different in in, in quality to what men get. It's just that there is so much more of it. You know, it's a tsunami of abuse, whereas, you know, a man might get maybe one or two comments. Um, and so you're in that difficult position of if you call it out, you, you sound like you're bemoaning it and you sound a bit weak. And so what happens is people like me kind of tend to not, I don't, I don't really like to, I don't think it's useful for me. It just it tends to intensify the abuse rather than to do anything about it. And uh, I, I accept, I accept what you're making about the, the gender issue. But when you say you got that abuse, you, you got abuse on the basis that you weren't, as far as you were concerned, that uh, your your position was not to go into government. The dissenting position is never going to be popular. I think maybe when it's a woman dissenting, it's less popular again. Very interesting. Um, and I was going to suggest, but I think you answered it already, if you project a few years forward, do you still see yourself as a Green Party TD? But I suppose that's a, that's a bit of a tough question. A I mean, I do. I, I mean, I think what I said is I can promise nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but I do. I, I, I mean, I think uh, Green politics is like a trade union. 
I think you have to have them. You know, it, they're part of the conscience of social democracy. And I don't see where my politics fits anywhere else. Nessa Horrigan, thank you very much for joining us today. That's it for this week's folks. Uh, I'd like to thank JJ Vernon and Sound. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to us on the usual platforms, iTunes, Spotify, iCloud, and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on the old Twitter machine at at mickcliff. See you soon. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.